know, one of the fantastic things too about K Day back then was that you guys would go deep and play album cuts also, you know, and there would be records, especially by like P Funk groups, you know, and acts, and you know, you would hear songs like say like Bootsy's Rotor Rooter or something like that mm -hmm. before they were even a single, or maybe they never did become a single. But um, you know, how was how are those kinds of programming decisions uh, derived at the at Well, look, if, if you can if you can consistently give people hits, you can do all kinds of things. Um, what what you can't do is you can't veer from the hits. Not on a hit music station like that. Not on a, a station that was largely teen oriented. Uh, you got to play the hits. But now remember, when I first got there, it was more of a full service thing. It wasn't. It, we weren't. We were teen oriented, but adults listened to us too. And uh, um, the the thing is, you got to keep keep the hits coming, and then in between, you can work in other things. And uh, we only did like one album cut an hour, or maybe every other hour. It wasn't that often, really. Mm -hmm. It's it was just notable, you know. And it it, it gave us sort of a a, a hipness kind of a uh, an edge, right? Because we would do that. Yeah. Do you remember breaking any particular records back then? The kind of you guys were the first and oh yeah, I will tell you two stories. Uh, when Jim Maddox was program director, I was doing uh, uh, commercials for Motown. I did commercials for Motown for thirty years, and um, uh, and I was the voice of Motown Twenty Five and some of their other uh, network specials. Um, but uh, Derek Church was. Uh, uh, he was a, a marketing guy that, that I worked with on commercials. He would give me these assignments. And he asked me if I could stop and run. So I, I said, sure. So I went up there and he, he, uh, he played me uh, uh, some music. And I, I, I don't remember who it was, but it was a prominent act. And I played me another one. Then he put this one piece on, man. And I said, oh, man. Oh, wow. Play that again. He played it again. I couldn't believe this, this piece. I called Jim Maddox up. I said, Jim. I said, listen, man, I said, make space. I would normally not do this. I only did this twice in my whole career was, was when I wasn't PD, when I called a PD and said, man, you got to make space for this. I know you haven't heard it, but take my word on it. Uh, I said, Marvin Gaye got a new piece out here. I said, and we got to play it. This thing is awesome. And it was got to give it up. Mm -hmm. And we were, I think I got an exclusive. I said, can we get this first? They said, yeah. So I think we we were the first station to play it, certainly in L.A. All and, eleven uh, minutes of it. <laughs> what's that? All eleven minutes of it, no doubt. No, it was no. It had they, at that time there were two versions. There was a there was a seven minute version, and then we created our own three and a half minute version. And then the 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 week after we put that on because we couldn't just go with a seven minute piece. Uh, so we had our own three and a half minute version, and then Motown came out with one, and that's where uh, we we. You know, we had a little tussle with Marvin because Marvin said, oh, no, 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 you're going to play our version. We said, no, we're not. Yes, you are. No, we're not. We'll just drop the thing. So we dropped it. And uh, and I was like put out with him. I had never met him, but I was put out with him for that. Although that was his right and it made the label uncomfortable, but they had to get behind their artists. And it wasn't a war. It was a skirmish over that particular record. So it didn't affect any other Motown product. But what happened was Jim left and went to Houston and I became program director. And I didn't have to. There was there was no face saving um, consideration. So I just put the record back on because it was still hot. And 
And then I met him subsequent to that. I met him up in Motown. I was in Skip Miller's office and uh, he came in and we sort of circled each other for about the first few seconds. Like, what's this going to be? And then we were cool. And we were cool from that time to the end. Oh, the other one was um, I I had a um, business manager, Fred Moultrie, and I was I was there. And he also handled Prince. And um, they said, you want to hear something? I said, yeah. And they played me 1999. I said, oh, man. I said, I said, could I could could I get an exclusive on this for K-Day? Now, remember, they were in the record business, but they were able to work this. They said, yeah, we, we can do that. We, I, we think we can, and it turned out that they could. And I, at that time, Jack Patterson was program director. I said, Jack, I said, man, Prince got a new piece coming out here. Just take my word. Make space for this. This thing is great. And I got an exclusive. It's called 1999. And just make space for this because this is, this is going to be a hit. And it was. But that's the only two times I ever did that. Everything else I did as program director. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Marvin Gaye was 77, right? Am I right on that year? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because it, it happened just before I became program director. And I, yeah, and I became PD in 77, first time. Yeah. Speaking of, back to the Roxy, I saw Prince's first West Coast performance, I think, in 79 at the Roxy. Well, then you and I were in the room at the same time. Uh, there's, a, there's a photo of Prince and me and Mo Austin and this one, it was about, must be about eight people in the photo from, from that night. And uh, I have it somewhere, I think in my phone. Ah, I got to see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of competitors back then. There was KJLH, there was uh, KGFJ, uh, KAs came later. How did you guys weather all those competitors? What, what what made you different? We were the we were the king, man. We sold we sold the records. That's where the excitement was. KJLH was really uh, they 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 were they were going for another crowd. Um, uh, K Ace was going for another crowd. KGFJ was our direct competition. Um, and just as with KFRC and KYA, we never killed them, but we were always ahead of them. So we were we were the dominant ones, and and we sold a lot of music. So we we had a lot of influence, you know, because um, you know when you sell a lot of music, uh, people pay attention to you, and other stations pay attention to you around the country, and um, so we had that we had that influence. We were little kings, you know. The program directors of stations then were little kings because um, there was no internet, and uh, I think by the way I think the internet is used. Uh, as an excuse to fail, uh, as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, when uh, TV came in, radio just got bigger. There's no, no reason that radio couldn't, and radio's doing okay. It's just not the same radio. How much did you see, or can you even speak to, um, you know, seeing um, stuff that wasn't maybe above board from the record companies to get their records broken or, or, or spun more times and, and and that side of the business, you know, what is your... I can only I can only speak to suspicions, you know. So I I wouldn't name any names because I could only speak to suspicions. I mean, I remember a certain person, a certain two people would be, uh, you know, all cornered up in in Martoni's on a on a regular basis, and and it it looked like what it looked like, but I couldn't say what was happening there because I wasn't in on the conversation. Uh, look, where there can be corruption, there will be corruption. Here's the thing. 
um, and this is this is not to make it okay. Uh, first of all, uh, on at that level, a, a record company is not paying to get some piece of crap on the air. What they're paying for is to 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 get everything moving at the same time. It's a coordination effort. Uh, so whereas uh, somebody might have uh, decided they're going to play it the following week, they want it this week. All right, and and that's that's uh, that's what happens. So it's not a it's not a matter of getting crappy music on and paying for it because nobody's going to do that. The other thing is that um, no matter what happened, the the mitigating factor was the marketplace. We had to play the hits, and there was just no two ways about that. We couldn't. Uh, uh, we could. They, there was no compromise on that. So uh, you know, you can't. You 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 couldn't afford to be coin operated. You really couldn't. Plus, we're making good money. We're making great money. So that you know, I'm not saying that nothing ever went down. I'm saying that you know, they, they were mitigating forces. Why do you think? Um, formats changed so much from the 70s going into the 80s in terms of, you know, funk music, for example, really starting to take a backseat and um, less emphasis on bands among the black groups and more emphasis on, you know, f f uh, lead singers and um, well, it's all, production. Well, it's, it's all decided by the consumer. Because remember, in radio, we only claim to be in the vanguard. We're not in the vanguard. We're reactive. But what we want to do is we want to react early and then we can always claim leadership, but we're not leaders. We're really not. We, we react and, and uh, it's show business. You give the people what they want and first you got to determine what they want. And so, so we do. Um, but um, it's not a, it's not a case of us leading the way we just claim to lead the way, you know, we hype, we're in the hype business, you know, much more music. We never said much more than what, we play the best music. Well, that's a matter of opinion. Um, less commercials, which I hate. I always hated that slogan. But less than who? I mean, that was just a phrase. It didn't really mean anything. And um, all, all radio does it. It's hype. You know, and it's legit. And when I say it's legit, I mean, it's, we're, not, uh, we're not lying to you. And, and we're selling ourselves. And people know that. You know they're they're putting their best foot forward and they're they're uh, saying how great they are. Of course, we're going to say that we're great. Listen to us. How much did the emergence of music videos and MTV and BET and all that sort of change the game? You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know what would have happened had that not been there. I frankly, when music videos started happening, I could have done without it. I, I really like the movie in my head better uh, than than the, the one that somebody would create, no matter how good it was. Now there 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 started to be some music videos that that I I liked. I mean, um, the the one with the the one one hit wonder, uh, the guy who did uh, she she blinded me with science. Thomas Dolby. Thomas Dolby. I love that video. Mm -hmm. And there were a few others that I really came to like. But uh, when, when they first started, I thought, you know, why are you showing me this? I, I already got a movie in my head. Everybody had their own movie when, when they would hear a particular song. They'd get their own imagery. You know, um, um, Barry White told me something that, that I found to be true as I looked about. Now, this was back in the days of Barry as a producer, Tom Bell, Smokey Robinson. And he used he said he said you can you can tell the personality of a um, uh, a, pr a producer 
by his rhythm section. Whatever the rhythm's doing, that's that guy. And that was true of Barry. If you listen to the rhythm sections, you you, you have a, a clue about who Barry White was. Same with Smokey, same with Tom Bell, same on down the line. Well, the thing is, you would hear that stuff and you'd get these images in your head. You'd get these pictures in your head. And those were my videos. Mm-hmm. But I've seen some pretty good ones. I've seen some pretty good ones. And I've seen some that were atrocious. <laughs> the majority. I think, you know, to me, though, in my mind, I'm thinking really where you started seeing a fragmenting of the what had been radio audience really started to happen with the emergence of like Sonny Walkmans where people started listening on their own. And around mm-hmm. the same time where the music videos got really big and they were starting to watch it more on TV and cable and stuff like that. And I think from that point on, radio's audience started frag- fragmenting and, and the numbers start going down a little bit. So, well, I think, I think we just had to, uh, I think we just had to work harder. Now K days numbers started going down in the last three years, but that was not because people um, didn't like us. That was because they were moving. There was a, 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 a they, they were migrating out of the, the, the uh, traditional black areas and being replaced by newcomers from south of the border, uh, you know, from uh, Mexico and, and central, uh, Central America. And, um, you know, welcome to the newcomers and everything, but that made us no longer viable in terms of sales. So our last three years, we were flat. We never lost a dime, but for the last three years, we were flat. There was still plenty of black folks south of the 10 freeway, but enough had left uh, to to uh, to make us less than workable. That broke my heart when those stations started going to the Spanish formats. Well, you know, you you were you uh, give the people what they want. Remember that the the highest paid jock in L.A. for years has been, I'm sure, it's still true, has has been a Spanish speaking jock. Why? Because the 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 uh, listenership is consolidated. It's not like there's a lot of competition out there. Everybody else is speaking English, and you got these few Spanish speaking stations, so their numbers are huge, and the guys make uh, money commensurate with the numbers. Now, famously, of course, Katie also was progressive with rap. Um, can you speak to that some? You know how that. Yeah, I I give Steve Woods credit for that. Now, somebody last October said, "Well, no, Al Waples well, did it over at KJFJ." I'm not sure that's true, and I loved Al Waples. Don't misunderstand; he was a friend of mine. He was a good guy, but I give Steve uh, uh, Woods credit for adding the Sugar Hill Gang, which I didn't like, <laughs> but but it was a good move because it was a hit record. Um, and then, uh, you know, the things that followed, we got, uh, what we got, uh, uh, run DMC and cool Modi and, uh, message. All, all, all these, and well, the message I had, we had dropped rap. That was a really bad decision on, on our part. We dropped it and, uh, we went sophisticated that went over like a lead balloon. Well, what happened was uh, I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I reintroduce this stuff without losing face? I was in New York City, and I heard the message. And I called John Badeau, and I said, John, there's this thing called The Message by a group called Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Find this thing, man. Check it out. I think we need to play this. He was the music director. I said, I, I want that on. So he found it. He agreed with me. We put it on. We were back in the rap business. Um, and... Um, you know, I thought that that stood head and shoulders above some of the other stuff that was out at the time, which I thought was pretty trite. But that was my opinion. And, and remember that when you're programming a station, your opinion is your opinion. And who cares? It's it's what the people want that you have to uh, respond to. Yeah. You know, so um, 
And that's, that's what programmers have to remember all the time. And that's what Bill Drake uh, preached. And he was right about that. He said, you know, the uh, you know, personal, personal tastes have very little to do with it. You know, so, you know, I would have record people come to me and say, well, don't you want to play good music? I said, man, I don't care about playing good music. I, play about, I care about playing hit music. So, you know, if I like it, I can listen to it at home. And, and, and sometimes I like what I play on the air and sometimes I think it sucks, but that's what people want to hear. That's what I'm going to play. Most of the time I liked it. And sometimes I didn't, but you know, if it worked, it worked. Yeah. Um, when that format change happened though, where it went like all rap, there must've been uh, some outcry by some of the older listeners, I'm guessing. No, well, remember, we were never, we were never ever all rap. The uh, last uh, interview that I had on the air on K-Day two weeks before I signed it off, because I signed it off, two weeks before I signed it off, uh, my last interview was with the OJs. So we, we were always an R&B station, um, but we, we, we played rap. We gave a lot of, uh, uh, we gave a lot of airplay to rap music and we, you know, had, um, uh, rap features you know but we were always an r&b station always to the end well my my mistake i thought eventually it did go all rap but nah we, we, you know what we got to be known as america's rap station and that was probably true but that because there was so much of it played but that was not that was definitely uh not uh the 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 totality of it well, JJ, you know, KDAY was so plugged into the local community too. I mean, Los Angeles, whether it was in the 70s with funk and, and, the, and the street with that, or whether it was hip hop later on. Um, you know, I remember, um, you know, they would promote and sponsor, you know, events in the parks and things like that. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about, in general, radio's unique role in the community and specifically to how KDAY fostered that? Well, ra radio was, um, for the most part, it was local. And that's what it was supposed to be. Radio was local. So um, what you did was you, you took care of the people who took care of you. And that was uh, your listenership. So if there was a problem in the community, you found a way to, to help address it. That doesn't mean that you would necessarily... You, it didn't mean you would necessarily solve all the problems, but you would address it. When I was at KJLH, for example, I think that the uh, the, the uh, uprising would have been marginally worse had it not been for KJLH. I have no way of knowing that, but I think it would have been marginally worse because uh, we we calmed a lot of people down. Uh, we ended up with uh, a lobby full of loot because we'd said, "Look, if you if you've done this, and you're not feeling real good about that." You can leave it with us, and we no questions asked. So we ended up hip deep in loot uh, in the in the lobby, and uh, uh, I talked to a lot of people on the phone. The other jocks talked to a lot of people on the phone. Uh, our two man news department was I don't know when they slept, um, but I I would yeah, I would talk to people, and you know the guy would say, well you know yeah yeah I rioted blah blah blah. I said okay well now is I understand because I understand your anger. I'm, I'm a little put out about this whole thing too. I said, but is it okay to steal from somebody and or burn their place down? Well, I'm, you know, I'm really upset about it. I got that. Is it okay to steal from somebody and burn their place down? Yeah, but you know, that wasn't right and blah, blah. I got that. But my question is, is it all right to burn somebody's place down and steal their stuff? 
And, you know, I get sort of a non-answer. I say, look, man, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, thanks for calling. But from, from this point forward, do what you know is right. Okay, just do what you know is right. And you know what's right. And he would say, okay. And uh, I think people did things and then had second thoughts. And uh, that's why we ended up with a lobby full of loot. And, and the station earned a Peabody Award for that. It does not get higher in broadcasting. You know, I've been wow. involved with two Peabody Awards. One was Motown 25 and the other was KJLH during the, uh, the uprising. Wow. Yeah. Um, were you still on the air when the uh, OJ thing happened? No, I was at Hits Magazine at that time. I was okay. uh, running a, a section at Hits Magazine, and I was sitting with uh, Ron. Um, oh, he's going to kill me. From Ron used to work with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, Ron Ellison. Ron Ellison. We were sitting in a place called uh, L'Express on Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks, and we were sitting. We had gotten together. We had met. We were going to sit there and have you know have a bite to eat and whatnot, and we were sitting there having a drink and. Did not we never got around to eating? All of a sudden, this thing came on TV with the with the uh, the, the, the 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 white uh, the SUV and um, whatever the, the, that that Ford and um, and I told Ron I said I said I guess we're never going to forget this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, we watched that, but no, I wasn't on I wasn't on the air at that time. Well, I also remember it so well because I had gone together with a friend. We were going to watch the NBA Finals, and mm -hmm. it preempted. The NBA Finals. Um, yeah, and then also living in Fox Hills, like I told you at that time, it was surreal watching the coverage, and then hearing and seeing the helicopters outside my window because the Bronco went right down the 405, which right. was right close to where I was living. Um, and then also with the King riots too. I mean, Fox Hills Mall was hit, you know, right by where I was living. So, yeah, those are some memories. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it was it was something, uh, but radio had to respond to that. Radio had to respond to its local community, and uh, you know, you still get KJLH responding, uh, just to name one. There may be other people are doing things I'm not giving them credit for, but I know KJLH has always been uh, community oriented, and that's you know, Stevie Wonder would not let that station go, no matter what the offer was, because he he wanted something that was going to be responsive to this community. So, and I admire him for that. Uh, and he was determined, and he's had he's been determined that way for what close to forty years now. I always wish they would uh, play even more Stevie Wonder on that station, but that's just me. Um, what would you say, um, JJ? What was like a um, the biggest gaffe that you ever had in your on-air career? Well, since we're not on the air, I'll say it. As I said, the first forty-five minutes, I said, "Shit." Oh shit! That had to be the biggest one. Biggest so you got it out of the way right away, and then smooth sailing. Well, yeah, but you, you talk about nervous. Uh, what happened was the newsman walked out of the news booth, walked uh, out of his news booth, up the hall, came into my studio, reached to reached across me, and hit the mic button and said, "Your mic was on." And my life passed before my eyes. I just froze in place. I couldn't believe I had done that. And. Uh, uh, but I survived that. And, um, but that had to be the big one. You know, I've made other mistakes. I, I, it's just that that one stands out, you know, cause I, I thought that I had just, uh, I thought I had just ended my career before it started. That's what I thought. 
Come to find out, you know, from other people that they made similar mistakes. But that was uh, that was one. Uh, Read the book, man. Read the book because it's all in there. I, yeah, put yeah. All, I put all this. As a matter of fact, everything you've talked about is, is actually in there. I think you'll find it to be uh, uh, rather uh, enlightening. Yeah, the book, Air Check, Life in Music uh, Radio. We're definitely yeah. going to promote that again before we sign off here. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, the reason I'm saying that is because, you, yeah, you'll see, you'll see all of that and more. Everything we've talked about and more. Um, because uh, I wanted to get it down. You know, it's not it's not everything that ever happened, but uh, what I wanted was to paint a picture of what it was like, and I think I did a um, I think I did a pretty good job of, of uh, outlining, you know, what what the life was like. Well, at the risk of this uh, also being in the book, what was, what was the most unforgettable um, musician celebrity encounter you had in the radio station? In the radio station? Yeah. Huh. Wow, man, that's a, that's sort of impossible to answer. I guess the uh, the wildest thing was when the Jacksons visited us in 1975, I think, maybe 76. That was a big event. Um, the, uh, the the station was live that night. The whole station was people who normally would just go home because it was the end of the day. They were there that night. We had a we even brought a a. a, a we had food, we had everything. And um, um, Tom Reed was on the air and the studio was full. Me and Guy Brody were across the hall. We were listening and just watching from across the hall. And that's Guy Stewart. And um, we had a spread, we had everything, man. And that was, uh, uh, that was uh, a memorable night. But I mean, I've had so many people in there, it's hard to say, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really hard to say. I think the first person that I ever, uh, I invited Barry White to come and do an interview, which he did graciously. He came with no entourage. He just drove over to K-Day and sat down and we talked. Uh, that's when I first met him. And But th there were so many encounters. I mean, I got all kinds of photos and, and whatnot from so many people. And they were all special in their own way. Now, uh, I can tell you that on the air, the best times I had were with the OJs and the Pointer Sisters. Those were always the liveliest interviews uh, happening, always. And that's why I wished for an OJs interview. And I never expressed that. Uh, my program director came to me and said, uh, "You got an OJs interview coming up." And it was like it was like a dream come true because I had never openly expressed it. I just thought in my head, "Boy, it would be nice to have the OJs on one last time before I sign this thing off." And um, and then he said, you got the OJs coming. And, I, and and that was great. And it was the same as usual, man. Me and Eddie Levert going at it. And, and Walt, uh, Walt Williams instigating from the side. And, you know, we, we had our little routine. And uh, the um, our um, um, engineering trainee, we called him Sporty. Sporty said, man, I couldn't tell who was the jock and who was the act, which was a compliment to me. And the the uh, pointer system was the same way. It was always live. I mean, we, we would just we would roll, and, and and that was cool. I had a really cool interview with uh, at another station at uh, KAs. I had a great interview uh, that uh, people uh, at the other stations even talked about with uh, Ashford and Simpson. Yeah. That was a live time. But you know what? You you what you want to do is you you don't want to just get off into facts. You want you want to make the guest a guest. 
you know, and make them part of this thing. Yeah, you want to talk about this, talk about that, but you want that thing to roll and move. That's the thing. Uh, and that's the thing with all the work that I do is, is the presentational work is you want motion, wants to keep going. You know, you don't want to do anything, any one thing for too long. Have it feel organic. Yeah. Yeah. Like real life. Yeah. You know, know, I was thinking, JJ, one thing that always struck me back in the um, like mid late seventies too, with the format of KDAY, the station did not shy away from playing some white acts. You know, you would hear like Benny and the Jets and, you know, maybe Philadelphia Freedom, like Elton John, you would hear, of course, you know, you'd hear R&B acts like Tina Marie and Average White Band, stuff like that. But it always struck me that that format seemed a little more open to that than typical like FM rock would be to playing black acts doing rock music if it wasn't Jimi Hendrix, you know? Right. Um, did, did, was there some sort of understanding? You know, how did you decide if a non-black act fit into the format of Kaden? Demand. Demand. I mean, the people tell you what to play. You know, so, um, you know, you keep your ear to the ground and, and uh, you stay in touch with, at that time, you stay in touch with, with uh, key retailers and find out what's what. It was in their best interest for you to play the right music. They didn't need for you to play, play a stiff. They can't sell a stiff. They needed you to play hits and they would tell you what the hits were. Now they, uh, uh, so, and what I'm saying is that you, you were not subject to get a lot of bad advice from them um, because it was in their interest for you to play the right music. So you stayed in touch with them. And if they were getting some kind of a um, response from um, Elton John uh, or uh, I'll tell you what got me was when we played Fleetwood Mac, Rhiannon. I'm thinking, what are we doing playing this song? But evidently, you know, there was it, re- it resonated. Um, I didn't mind playing uh, rock acts at all. I didn't. Uh, the Stones, we played the Stones. Miss I didn't you. mind playing that, but um, Miss You, we played. Uh, I, I didn't mind that, of course, but... Uh, the Fleetwood Mac piece we played, I just like that. Just to my ear, that didn't work, but it worked. You know, Thomas Dolby obviously worked. You know, so it's it's what it, it's what resonates with the people, man. Bob Skaggs, uh, Bobby Boss Caldwell. Skaggs. Yeah, I added Bobby Caldwell. Uh, I think we were the first in the world to play that, uh, and uh, I think we were the first in the world to play uh, Lowdown. So yeah. But those were those were more in line. Those were more in line. Uh, they weren't as rockish. They were those. Those were really um, uh, R and B pieces with a rock edge. Yeah. You know? But still, I think it was great to the station's credit. You know, not to have you know race blinders on or something. You know, just you know, keep with the format and give the people what they wanted. You give the people what they want exactly. Yeah. So so there it is. Um, let's, you know what? I hate to cut you short, but I got to be somewhere in a little bit. Okay. Got time for maybe two more? Sure. All right. Um, what's your take on how, you know, on where radio is at today in terms of terrestrial, satellite, you got podcasts, there's so many things now, uh, internet radio. What is, what is your take on the industry? 
My take on the industry is that um, the importance of uh, uh, programming uh, has dropped in, in people's minds. Uh, they, they, they don't think it's as important as I hear it. Uh, I don't hear the attention to detail that we used to put in. I used to tell my uh, staff um, that you know, everybody does the big things right. We win or lose in the margins. We win or lose um, based on the little things that we do. Not the big thing. Everybody does the big things right. Um, and I don't hear a lot of attention to detail as as I listen anymore. It seems to be um, um, rather haphazard. That's my opinion. Um, now, the thing is, if you're haphazard in your approach and your competition is haphazard, then it all evens out. You know, because the, the listeners still going to listen to you or that competition uh, in the same approximate numbers. Um, and I hate that, but because we had it worked out to a science, I mean, we would, we would, uh, it would, it would break down to how you, how you said, how you said the, the name of the, the, the comp, the, uh, uh, promotion, the 1580 K day, seven cars, seven country sweepstakes, for example, um, uh, those little things that we would do, the, the, the words that we didn't use. The keywords that we would emphasize, for example, I mean, to, to put it simply, the word you is very important. So when you would say you, um, as, as an address to the listener, you would, you, you would put a little, a little bit of a punch, not, not a big one, but a little bit of a punch on that, for example. And those are little details that I hear missing because I think that they, they don't understand, people no longer understand the, uh, the importance of that. And uh, so I think a lot has been lost in that regard. I, I wrote a, in the book also about listening to a satellite station uh, with my sister in the car. My sister's pretty radio savvy. Uh, she's not a radio person, but, you know, she grew up with me and she's known a lot of jocks and listened to stations and whatnot. And, um, you know, the guy was this, this, he's talking over the intro of a song and his voice was nice, nice, nice set of pipes. Uh, content was good. And then it fizzled or well, what had happened. His on-air production was off. He didn't hit that post. He didn't. He didn't hit that vocal. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't fit it together like a puzzle. And you know, to me, that was a flunk. And when it happened, I said to my sister, "I said he missed it. Did you hear that?" And she said, "Yeah, I heard it." And uh, that that makes a difference. I don't care what they think. It does make a difference because uh, an audience listener does not necessarily know why. They find this appealing, but they do, or not appealing as the case may be. They don't necessarily know why. It just happens. So that's what I think. I think that uh, attention to detail is, is slipped. What, what advice would you give to a young person today who's interested in getting into broadcasting, maybe voiceover work or, you know, work in broadcasting that emphasizes, you know, speech and, and voiceovers? Man, I don't know. Um, it's such a different world. Um, when I was coming up, there, there were always there was always a gaggle of kids hanging around radio stations. You know, um, some of them would last. I lasted. You know, I, I didn't come and go. I, I was there and I stayed until they put me on the air. Um, some of them didn't, because for whatever reason they they couldn't persist. Um, Listen to the best, borrow from the best, develop your own thing, be yourself. 
do speak general American English. I mean, it's okay to uh, throw in some kind of an ism. You know, in black radio, I would throw in a blackism every now and then, but it wasn't self-conscious. It was just the way we, you know, way, the way I talk. Uh, but I, I would do it without, without, uh, without compunction, without hesitation, because that's what that's who I was addressing. Um, but, um, but do speak general American English. Understand the language. Know what you're saying. Um, you, you have to be articulate. That doesn't mean that you have to be highbrow. But you have to be articulate. And by the way, the, the way I speak, as you hear me speaking now, is the same way I speak at 103rd and Central, and it's really okay. So, um, uh, you know, it's best foot forward at all times, you know, and have a good time because people can pick up on that. Mm. You know, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not tuning in to hear you work. You know, uh, Paul Drew would say, you never refer to your job. Never refer to your job on the air, or your 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 on air being on the air as a job. It's what do you call it a geek? Well, it it it, it wouldn't even be that. You're just on the air. That's all. You're just having a good time playing some music. That's 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 as it should appear. Yeah. You know, but you don't you don't play it as as if you're at labor. You know, you don't want to do that. So remember, so it is it is show business. That's right. And um, you've done a heck of a job at it. Congratulations in all these decades of just fantastic work you've done. Um, so the book is called Air Check Life and Music Radio. Um, mm -hmm. Where can people get it and why should Amazon. they Amazon. They can get it at Amazon. There's a download and there's the uh, paperback. I would, I would suggest the paperback. I got pictures and stuff in there. I think it's a little better. It costs twice as much, but it, it's a little better. Uh, so that's at Amazon. And I, I got a podcast coming up, but I'll tell you about that when the time comes. Please do. Please do. Yeah, I got a, I got a podcast uh, planned and uh, uh, I'm checking out the terrain on that because this is new for me. So I'm, I'm trying to figure my way around this thing. Was well, there anywhere where people can kind of keep up with what you may be doing? Yeah, I read the book and you'll be you'll definitely be hearing about the podcast because it'll be out there and I'll be making a lot of noise. But, you know, I can be found. There's a, I have a website dedicated. To, excuse me. I got a Facebook page dedicated to the uh, book. And that's uh, Air Check Life and Music Radio that, that they can uh, they can go to a lot of pictures in there and a lot of quotes and stuff like that. Uh, and I'm so glad we could connect. Thank you so much, JJ. Great talking to you. Great to meet you and continued success in whatever you do. Well, thank you very much, Scott, and I uh, hope to talk to you sometime soon. Likewise. Take good Take care. care. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Well, I, for one, sure miss those glory days of 1580 K-Day, when almost any time of day or night, you could count on hearing something you love and often hearing songs for the very first time as intro or outro by amazing jocks such as J.J. Johnson. And you might also decide to spend hours trying to call in a request or win a contest in those days. A huge thanks again out to J.J. Johnson for sharing his memories and spending time with truth and rhythm. Also, as always, a sincere thank you to you, the viewers and listeners of the program. Thank you so much for your continued support. Speaking of which, I mentioned at the outset, but again, if you don't subscribe, do so to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. Tell a friend, tell family, need that support. Show these musicians and important figures of funk, R&B, and jazz that you care, that that meant a lot in your life. So support Truth and Rhythm. Also, write me, email scottg 
at funkinstuff.net. You should see it on the screen. And let me know what you like, who else you want to see on the program. Give me that feedback. It's a two-way conversation. This is your show. So help shape it and give that feedback. Love talking with you guys. With that, this is Scott Dr. GX Fund. As always, saying keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.